Today, our text for the sermon is specifically the gospel reading and this passage. They asked him, who are you? What, are you? what then are you, Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. All three of our texts, four of them, actually, in particular, if you count the psalm, they all speak to finding ourselves, right, finding ourselves as the brokenhearted, finding ourselves as the captives. As the Old Testament reading says that good news has come for the poor. Well, first we have to recognize ourselves as the poor. First, we have to recognize ourselves as those in prison. We have to recognize ourselves as those who mourn. So today, as John the Baptist lived rent, lived rent free in the heads of the, the priests and Levites who came to him, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let Christ live rent free, not only in your heads, but also in your hearts. Now, those who were sent to John, they knew who he was. He didn't just show up out of nowhere. They knew John's father was a priest, Zechariah. They knew his birth was a miracle because Elizabeth was so old. They knew who John was. The problem was with what John preached. As the saying goes, as they listened and heard John preaching, well, they just couldn't get him out of their head. John lived rent-free in the heads of the priests, the Levites, and the Pharisees. Three times they asked him, who are you? But they weren't so curious as to, be, as to learn from John. They didn't want to be taught from John, but their question was more along the lines of, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are calling us to repent? And included in our teaching today and this reading is a lesson on the fourth commandment. The lesson, of course, the commandment, honor your father and mother. But the commandment is not just about our fathers and mothers, but all authority. John the Baptist was sent by God. He had authority to call them to repent. But they didn't want that. They were challenging John's authority. And we do well to reflect on our own lives where we too ignore God's sent authorities in our lives. The Levites and Pharisees didn't want to be told they needed to do better at following God's word. That their paths need, needed to be straightened. Their mountains of pride needed to be brought low. And their low valleys of, of low regard for God's word needed to be brought up. They needed repentance 
And so do we. They needed, they needed repentance, but instead of examining their life, instead of applying the Ten Commandments to their lives, they wanted John to shut up. Who do you think you are, John, calling us to change? Calling us to repent. But of course, John's end game, John's the end of John's sermon wasn't just that repentance means being sorry for your sin, but also believing that for the sake of Christ, our sins are forgiven. And that, indeed, he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can change. So then, John, who are you? With what authority do you tell us that we need to repent? You see the Levites, the priests, the Pharisees, all of our sinful flesh would rather like to think that God is a silent God. He's just a God far off. He doesn't interact in our lives except when we want something good. Oh no, God isn't going to stand there and speak through the voice of an office, an office of authority in our parents, our pastor, or our political authorities. No, when they say something I don't like, I don't have to listen to them. So then, John, with what authority do you tell us we need to repent? And they ask three possibilities. They don't think John could possibly have been sent by God. Three possibilities. One, are you the Messiah? Two, are you Elijah? Three, are you the prophet? And they, they also assume that if John was one of them, that they would listen to him. But indeed, John is all of those mashed up into one. All three of these, why, why did they ask John about this? What, what was it that made them select these three criteria so that then they would know if they needed to listen to John? Well, all three of these were promised in the Old Testament. All three of these were promised to come at the end of days when the kingdom of God would come and, and it would be known. When these three would show up, the Jewish people, the people of God would know that God's kingdom had come. They were looking forward to these three coming because then that meant that, well, they mistakenly thought that that meant they would have earthly power. That when the Messiah would come, the Jewish people would return to the glory days of David and even better, that they would have power, they would have authority, they wouldn't have to listen to those Romans anymore, they wouldn't be looked down on, they would have wealth and glory and a place of honor in this world. So first they ask, well, are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? Now this is understandable because as I mentioned earlier, John was kind of like a messianic figure. He had a miraculous birth. Remember he was a loner. He was out in the wilderness. He didn't really care what people thought about his preaching. John was kind of a messianic figure, so you can understand why people thought, huh, are you the Messiah? However, John quickly puts that to rest. John said, I am not the one. I am not the anointed one. I am not the Christ. So John is confessing 
He needs a Savior. He's a sinner just like them. So then they move to the the second one. Are you Elijah, the prophet? In Malachi 4.5, God said, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, what God is teaching in Malachi 4 is that he's going to send a prophet in the spirit of Elijah, who's going to call his people to repent, not just at his first advent, but the call of Elijah is going to last until the Lord returns. This is why they ask if John is Elijah, that God would send a prophet who would be in the spirit of Elijah, one who would preach as Elijah did, calling God's people to repent of following false gods. And actually, this is who John was. Yet you have to understand that the Jews, when they're asking, are you Elijah, they're asking the wrong question. They're asking, are you the resurrected Elijah? John answers, no, I'm not the Elijah you expect. Because in Matthew and Luke, Jesus does tell us that John is Elijah, but he's not the Elijah that the Jews expected. They wanted something different. But John says, I'm not Elijah in the flesh. So then they move on to the third. Are you the prophet? Because in Deuteronomy, God said he would send a prophet greater than Moses. And this, of course, is Jesus. So again, John says, no, I'm not the prophet that God promised in Deuteronomy. So why were the the priests and Levites so concerned with these three? Well, because they're looking for an earthly savior. They so badly want John to be one of these three according to their false expectations. They wanted a politician who wouldn't disturb their spiritual kingdom. You see, they thought they had their spiritual lives perfectly in line. They didn't think they needed to try fasting. They didn't need to increase their study of God's word. They didn't need to pray more. They had all of that taken care of. What they sinfully thought was that they needed someone to make this life easy. Someone to make sure there were no bad days, there's no suffering. To make sure everything just went great. Because at this time, the the priests, the Levites and the Pharisees, they loved this world more than the kingdom of God. They didn't want to change. They didn't, they didn't want to repent. But you see, Moses, Elijah, and even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, they were all sent in the spirit of Elijah to pull us from being too concerned about the desires of our flesh, the desires of this world. To be too caught up in thinking about that that preparing for Christmas is baking cookies and cleaning the house and making sure the presents are bought. No, 
Preparation for Christ is a daily consideration. A daily daily walk of repentance. To teach us that as as long as we're alive in this world, our, our race, our lives, our spiritual lives are not perfect. We need to have our paths straightened. We need to have our valleys leveled and our mountains knocked down. That as we run our race, we need someone to tell us. You need to change. You see, and and that's where they were mistaken. They, They thought they were sent to John to correct John, but John had been sent by God to them but they didn't want to hear it. And that is what John does for us. This is what John does, but he only calls ourselves to forsake the desires of this life so that we would find all of our needs fulfilled in Christ. All of our concerns and all of our doubts are not left on your shoulders but they all belong to Christ. That's what John is trying to teach them and us. But no, they said, who do you think you are, John? And even then, John answers, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, how should they have answered that? John gave them the answer. How should they have answered when John said that? They should have asked, John, how do we make straight the way of the Lord? Their answer was still, no. Who are are you? Who do you think you are calling us to straighten our ways? They had no care for God's word that calls us to make straight the way of the Lord because John was not just sent to them. John is sent to you. John wasn't just preaching a sermon for the priests and Levites who came to him. John is preaching to all sinners. But we're tempted to say the same things to John. I don't need to think about fasting. And then we double down in eating junk food or drinking too much alcohol. I don't need to pray more. And then we waste more time on the internet. I don't need to fit Bible study in my schedule. My schedule is too full. But then we find something else to be busy with. We like to ask God for help with our anger, or maybe we ask God for more patience. But we refuse to actually take the steps to grow in patience. We refuse to let things go. We even hold on to grudges. We ask God to help us study his word more, but we refuse to put the phone down and turn off the television. The priests and Levites were told to repent, and they doubled down. We read John's sermon and perhaps think, oh yeah, this old worn-out sermon of old John the Baptist, but no, this sermon is preached until Jesus returns. Because, you see, John knew where to look. John 
he didn't, he only pointed to himself so far as it would lead to Christ. John knew he was a sinner. He said, I'm not the Christ. So if John is not the Christ, he needs to repent as well. John couldn't help but speak of Christ because all of the straightening out of one's life, all of our preparation for Christ to dwell rent-free in us begins with repentance and faith. Begins in knowing that Christ Jesus is the answer for you. Just as you need to trust your doctor before you do what he says to heal your illness, so too the answer to our worries, our doubts, is faith and trust in Christ. John knew he had the cure for all the illnesses, our laziness. John knew he had the one who would give the antidote to sin and death. Christ Jesus and his forgiveness. But then does that mean we can now sin freely, that forgiveness may abound? Never let that be. Produce fruits of repentance. Christ Jesus, who needed no repentance, no forgiveness, he had the one straight path, and yet he made his way crooked, You heard that in our reading today, John saying, make straight the ways. Jesus, you think about it, his path was straight. He had no curves. He had no ways that he was avoiding his heavenly father's will. But Jesus made his path crooked by taking our sins on himself. He visited those dark places that we go in in our angst and doubts. His path from heaven went down into the deepest valley of stooping down to find you in your sin. He ascends to the highest places where our pride takes us, where we think we can't be touched. But he will bring the proud down with crushing embarrassment. Pride comes before the fall. Jesus knew who he was, and yet he gladly endured the cross. And even on the cross, the people yelled out to him, Who do you think you are? If you are the Son of God, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Let those be your words as well. When you're carrying your cross and it seems as if the darkness is winning, John can't help but point us to Christ And even his enemies question and are led to then the question about baptism. John points his hearers to baptism. I baptize you with water, but there is one greater. Because it is there at baptism your path was straightened out. It is there that you are put on the path where you can run your race. It is there That when the devil asks you, who do you think you are? It is there that you find the answer to that. You are forgiven. You are strengthened. You are equipped by the Holy Spirit to follow Christ. Planted in Christ Jesus that we would produce fruits of repentance. The priests and Levites, they asked, who do you think you are, John? 
They didn't listen to John's sermon, so they missed the Christ. But in hearing John's preaching and believing who we are, we are children of God. We are the ones, as John, I'm sorry, as, as we hear in Thessalonians today, in our second reading, we are the ones who will be kept blameless until he comes. You are not held accountable for your sins. All of that was absorbed by Christ. You are being rescued from all the spiritual anguish in your life because God's kingdom comes to you in his Holy Spirit. A kingdom that gives chances each day to begin anew, to start over, to confess I've messed up and I want to straighten my path, not to double down in anger or resentment. Because what does that blamelessness sound like? Well, our psalm today helps us. Look at the psalm. What does it say? It says, instead of anger and bitterness, our mouth was filled with laughter. Instead of gossip and rebellion, our tongue was shouts of joy. For the Lord has and continues to do great things for us. The great thing he does for you is forgive you your sins. And promise you, he will preserve you and strengthen you till he returns. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.